Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Very cool. My name is Carl and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. If you've got a Bible around you, why don't you just crank it open to Psalm 27. We're going to be in Psalm 27 for the whole part of tonight. Psalm 27 is on page 460 of the Pew Bible. So if you're new here tonight, just grab a Pew Bible, flick open to page 460. And that is where we will be. Uh, on Fridays is my day with my kids. And so what I mean by that is that my wife works uh, during the week. So Friday I am flying solo. And um, during my time on Friday, I've developed a couple of fears about that day leading up to the day on Friday. Um, I've learnt the fear of uh, a lot of noise, and I've learnt the fear of no noise, right? They can be equal fears. Um, my son, Tommy, has, has learnt this new ability just to scream all day long. Pretty awesome hobby. And so from Friday morning until about 7pm at night, he'll just scream all the day long. But I've learnt if you just keep feeding him, putting stuff in his mouth, he'll stop screaming. I've learned that my son Jack doesn't really like when he makes all this noise, so he gets his cars and starts smashing them together to like get louder and louder over the, over the top of my son Jack. And so as the day approaches, I have this fear that my day is going to be filled with this loud crashing noise over and over again. But that noise is still better than the silent noise, right? The silent noise of when my kids are not sleeping, but they're both awake and I can't hear anything. That's a problem, right? It could be that my son Jack is finding this really creative way to poo himself in some backyard part of the garden. It might be that my son Jack has um, taken the hose, the garden hose, and stepped inside the living room while I'm out somewhere else and poured water inside the living room. It might be that my son Jack has taken all the toilet paper and he's stuffed it into the toilet bowl, toilet bowl right? All these true stories of the things that my son does. And what it shows us, right, is sometimes there's good reason to be more afraid of the things that happen in silence than the silence and the things that we can hear, right? Tonight we're beginning an extremely important series in the life of our evening service community about the battle of the mind because so many people in the life of um, our community and the life of, life of our world actually struggle with this battlefield of the mind that we experience every day. And it's really interesting that the Apostle Paul, when he speaks into the Greco-Rome culture, the Greek and Rome culture, when he's speaking to the Corinthian church as the church is, um, is being birthed, and they're under this weight of oppression, that he doesn't tell them to take up arms, but he actually speaks to them about the battle of the mind. He says this in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, what are strongholds? Strongholds are a place of refuge. They're locations on the battlefield that the army has fortified. And now everyone has complete confidence to rest within that stronghold. He goes on in verse 5 to say, We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive thought, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so what are these places of refuge, these strongholds that Paul speaks to? Well, commentators believe that he's speaking about everything that would position itself against the knowledge of God. That typically falls into two camps, right? The first camp we've been speaking about for the last seven weeks, it is the camp of various different worldviews. 
They've positioned themselves up as belief systems against God. We spoke about atheism and agnosticism and secularism and mysticism and all these various different kinds of faith groups that Paul would say are strongholds positioning themselves against gospel truth. That's uh, camp one. There is another camp that we're going to find ourselves in for the next five weeks, and that is the camp of our personal attitude, the things that we worry about, our fear, our guilt, our resentment, our insecurity, any attitude that would result in the cause of you disbelieving what God's word says about you. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be speaking about overcoming addiction, thriving through exhaustion, experiencing God's presence and finding God's best for your life. But tonight we're speaking about the topic of finding hope through the unknown. We all know that we have these different seasons in our lives where we just don't know what is coming around the corner. And that leads us to Psalm 27, a psalm of trust. David writes this uh, psalm declaring his trust in the Lord. But let me ask the question, can you remember what you were doing eight years ago? 2019, think back to, take yourself back to 2011, walk back there slowly, 18, 17, get yourself back to 2011, eight years ago. If you've spent any time looking at the life of King David, you would know that he was a guy that experienced much suffering and much persecution, that he was promised this, um, this role, this title as king over Israel. But we know for a, the best that we can see, about eight years, he was on the run, stuck in caves, stuck fleeing for his life in foreign cities. But what we know about suffering is that we can say the word eight years and just as quickly as we say it, that sentence is over. We speak about people's different experiences of suffering so quickly and you can so easily say a week or a month or a year and it passes over us so quickly where we know that suffering can last such a long time. Here's some of the things that happened in the last eight years. Osama bin Laden was killed. We had two Olympic Games. The Boston Marathon bombing happened, Paris terror attacks, London terror attacks, a myriad of Middle Eastern terror attacks where Occupy, Occupy Wall Street had happened. Nelson Mandela died, Steve Jobs died, the rise and fall of Bitcoin. Uber landed in Australia and Adelaide reached 48 degrees, all in the last eight years, right? A lot of different stuff happened. That tells us a lot about the life of David. Firstly, it tells us, as an observation, that David suffered for a long time. His suffering wasn't confined to the best part of a weekend or a difficult winter. He didn't have the winter blues, but David knew what it was like to call a rock his pillow, right? He suffered. Another observation is that David, though he was promised the title of king, didn't know when his suffering was going to end. See, for some of you, if we were to say that you were to be promised king, uh, to be king or queen and you just had to wait eight years, maybe some of you would decide to stick it out. But David was promised this role as king, but he had no idea when it was going to come to pass. One month, two months, one year, two years, eight years. It's like uh, when you watch the football on TV, it used to be that on Channel 7, that the, um, if you watch footy on Channel 7, the game counts down, Right? So you watch the game and you know when it's going to finish. And so if you're watching football with someone who doesn't like football, that person who doesn't like football knows when the game is going to finish. What Channel 10 used to do is that they used to count up, right? So you'd get to the end of the game and you'd be pulling your hair out because you've got no idea when this game is going to finish. 
They wanted to create this experience where you wouldn't know, just like the players, when the game was going to end. And the fans hated it. No one liked it, so they changed the whole thing. Even a good thing, people wanted to know when it was going to finish. But David suffered, and he suffered long. He had this incredible season of the unknown that maybe you're in right now. Maybe you're in a relationship, or maybe you're in an academic situation, or maybe the season you're at with your family, or your health, or a relationship breakdown. Maybe all these things are happening in your world, and you would describe it as the season of the unknown. We know that Psalm 27 places David in this season of the unknown, which makes it even more profound that he starts the psalm in this way. Look down in your Bibles in verse 1. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is what we might describe as the most essential ingredient to finding hope through the unknown. We need to choose the stronghold of the Lord, right? At the very, very top, we need to choose the stronghold of the Lord. How does that make any sense? You get that out of the first line. Psalm 27 is a very, very interesting psalm. Uh, uh, Some commentators will break it up into two different psalms. And they do that because they can't reconcile the praise of David at the start of this psalm with the fierce left turn that happens in verse 7. Look down in your Bibles in verse 7. He writes, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Psalm 27, it starts off as a victory psalm. And then you get to verse 7 and you realize that David hasn't actually been saved at all. David, at the very top, chooses the stronghold of the Lord. He chooses his place of refuge, which makes us ask the question, what is our place of refuge? Prior to stepping into suffering, at the very top of suffering, what would we describe as our refuge? Is it community? Is it the friends that we hang out with? Is it the comfort, the rhythm of life? Is it our house, the cool things that we do to our house? Is it our friendship groups? What is the refuge that is going to get you from point A to point B? There is a unity in this psalm because David says at the very, very top, the Lord is my stronghold. We see this answer found in verse 3. He says, though an army, if you look down in your Bibles, encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, Though war may rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why does David even need confidence? You don't need confidence when things are going well for you. You don't need to trust someone else when things are going well for you. We see that David is this, in this great season of the unknown. The stronghold is a place of refuge that David chooses to make during the season for him where there is so much to worry about and there is so much to worry about in life. Very, very good reasons to worry. Uh, And a French philosopher named Michael de Montaigne says, uh, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. 
And his point is that a lot of things happen in our life that are actually like um, really confronting and really challenging. But then there is so much more that we worry about that it would be fair to say we have good reason to worry about. So much in our life is challenging. So much in our life is taxing. And what are we supposed to do with this? So many reasons to worry. Will I pass my exam? Will I find someone who loves me for who I really am? Will I be able to love someone else for who they really are? If I get on that plane, will it crash? If I get in that car, will it crash? If I get in the ocean, will a shark get me? Is there a spider under the toilet? Will I have a job in six months? What if I go to that party and no one talks to me? Do people like me? Will people make fun of me if I told them what I really think about? If I have kids, how will they turn out? So many good reasons to worry in life. What's so challenging and inspiring in the words of David is that David doesn't run to the refuge of anything else, but at the top he makes this choice to put his confidence in the light and salvation of the world, of, of the Lord. And he says starts off by praising God, reminding himself and the readers that there are many good reasons to worry, but there are better reasons not to worry. Many, many good reasons to acknowledge that harm will come our way, but a much greater reason to acknowledge that salvation is at hand. We are able to find hope through the unknown when we remember who our God is, who our God is. You can choose the stronghold of worry or you can preach to yourself the very good reasons not to worry. So let's look at these very good reasons not to worry. Reason number one not to worry is the character of the Lord. The character of the Lord. The confidence that David has here does not come from within himself. If you've ever felt like that you can't do it on your own, if you've ever felt like that you're not strong enough, not smart enough, if you've ever felt like you couldn't do it, then you are standing in good company. Because that is the whole of the Christian story, that we cannot do it on our own. The whole of the Christian story is that we say that I am not enough. I am not enough to save myself. I am not the light of the world. David says it like this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's really interesting that when we uh, speak of David in churches, we often preach uh, um, different stories like David fighting the giant and we build him up as this hero of the faith, which he is in many ways because we can learn so much from him. But he would never ever speak about himself in that way. He would never describe himself as a hero of the faith. He says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that salvation can come from anywhere else. He could have looked inside of himself and said, well, I want to be better, I want to be taller, I want to be smarter, I want to be more handsome like King Saul. He could have said that my salvation lies in somewhere else. He could have made allegiances with all the neighboring countries all around Israel that were looking to take over Israel. He could have um, subtracted his faith in God and replaced it with a spirituality from another nation, which other characters in the Bible well did. Options all chosen by other characters in the Bible. We can choose our appearance. We can put our hope in our career. We can put our hope in our personality. But every single time we do that, we run from the light and we begin to do what the Bible calls walk in darkness. We begin to walk in darkness. And what darkness does is that it disguises the truth of life. This morning while I was... Uh, getting ready for work, I was getting ready in the dark and um, I took all my clothes and went out into the living room so that my wife would um, keep, be able to keep sleeping. 
went out into the living room and I, uh, I'm in the dark and everything is going well so far. But yesterday we had our first year, our um, kid's first birthday and we left out all the lollies and all the chocolates on the table, right? And as I'm walking, my feet start getting itchy and I feel a little nibble at one toe and then on top of my feet and I see that there are thousands and thousands of ants all over the floor, Right? What the darkness did was that it, it covered up the reality of the light. I didn't have this clear picture because the darkness covered the true picture. Paul says it like this in Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In darkness, I believe that my house was clean, though it was covered in mess. In spiritual darkness, we believe that our lives are forsaken when the truth is, whom shall I fear? In spiritual darkness, we believe that we have no hope. Or worse, we believe that I am the hope. We believe that I can do it on my own and we look at other people around us who seem to be doing so well and living these extravagant lives and trusting God with our whole heart and we just say, well, I'm just going to tough it out until I look like that person. What David would say is that the Lord is my light. See how he makes it personal? The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? To hand over our lives to uh, the prince of darkness would be to hand our lives over to the one who just wants to steal, to rob us of everything, to rob us of the joy that we would have in our life, to kill, to end our life, and to destroy, for us to have no eternal communion with God. But we have the very opposite with our God, amen? We have a God who loves to pour out, longs to pour out blessing upon his people, so we might walk in the peace that he has set aside for us. So let's ask this question, what will I find if I choose the Lord as my stronghold? If I choose the Lord as my stronghold, what is on the other side? Well, look down in your Bibles in verse 5. He says, For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Shelter, a tent, the rock. The shelter is the image of um, someone being hid in the innermost quarters of the king. It's in that stronghold, in the most fortified room of the most fortified wing of the most fortified castle, and in there you are safe. This image of the tent is the, takes us back to the Holy of Holies, where uh, only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies, a place where Jewish people would, uh, would worship. Only the high priest was allowed in there. It was the secret place. No one else could go under fear, under fear of death. But the Lord says, come into my tent. We see that he describes um, us being placed onto a rock, a firm foundation, far away from the enemies. Far away from the enemies. So when David describes what it would mean to come under the shelter of God, to, put our, to make our, a stronghold of the Lord, He's saying that we will not only be protected, but amongst all the different trials and challenges of life, we will be able to experience peace. We will be able to experience peace. Why is that? Because the enemy can't get to what is truly valuable in our life. That's why someone once said that 
For Christians, this life is the worst hell we'll ever know. For non-Christians, this world will be the greatest heaven they'll ever know. The truth of that statement is that for Christians here, the clothes that we wear and the um, luxury and comfort that we have in our life, it is not our heaven. Heaven is our home. It is our eternal residence with our Saviour. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus in this place, then this is all that there is. It is this endless pursuit to be comforted by the things around you. You're on this endless pursuit to make this your heaven, this broken and fractured world, where it doesn't matter what faith faith group you come from, maybe no faith group at all, you would recognize that there is something severely wrong with this world. All the good things that Christians do, we're not trying to make this um, grand utopia that so we can usher in the kingdom of heaven so heaven can get here quicker. If we just lay the foundation in the right way, then Jesus will come back. The reasons why uh, Christians are out in our community and serving and being generous is because God has been so generous to us. I don't need to worry about how much money I make or about how big my house is. Why? Because this is not my home. And no trial or temptation or tragedy that I experience can rob me of what is most precious, which is two things. Destiny with my Saviour and the personal relationship that we have with our Saviour now. That being a Christian isn't just a passport away from the pain of this world, but Christians actually experience the indwelling of the person of the Holy Spirit right now. No matter what trial you're going through, no matter what unknown is waiting around the corner, you can rest in the shelter of the Lord. You can rest in the shelter of the Lord. That is the character of God. We should ask what kind of, uh, we should ask how are we able to experience this kind of shelter? Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's look down at verse 4. How are we to experience this kind of shelter? Verse 4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. To be in the shelter of the Lord is an objective reality, but it's also more than an objective reality. To be in the shelter of the Lord, whether you feel God's presence in your life or not, whether you have an emotional connection to what God is doing in your life or not, is regardless of the fact that if you have called upon the name of the Lord and you believe upon the name of the Lord, you are saved. You are destined for heaven. But this psalm has a pulse behind it, right? It has emotion behind it. There is a kind of peace that David is experiencing here. He he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, he did not have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord. What he is speaking about is being enthralled with God. That to seek after the Lord is not like finding a leprechaun at the end of a rainbow It's not like he was searching around for X marks the spot. What he's speaking about here is partnering, holding hands, walking alongside the very purposes of God in his own life. We can see it in Psalm 4 verse 2 where he writes, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? 
So he berates them using this language of seek to describe people who are holding hands with the idols of this world. But David's experience is that the more that he trusted in God, the more he delighted in trusting in God. That to experience the security of God, that the more that you trust in God, the more that your life is filled with peace, a tangible peace, joy, a tangible joy, the more that we trust and lean upon the Lord. I've realized over the weekend that one of the reasons that I don't take my problems before the Lord and commune with the Lord is because sometimes I'm embarrassed to. I believe the lie that my problems are too small for God and God is disinterested with my problems. Uh, on Friday, uh, I had my boys and we had an excellent day. I figured out if I keep feeding Tommy, he's quiet. I figured out a way to play with Jack in a pool. It was just, it was an awesome day. At 1.30, I know they're both tired and so I put him down to bed and I forgot to um, give Jack his dummy. So I went out to the car, opened the boot of the car, got that dummy out and I crushed my head on the boot of the car, right? Like hit the deck, pool of blood in my hand, and I was just so gutted, so shattered that the peace that I was about to experience, I just had a week that I would prefer forget, and I was about to get these two hours of peace, right? So excited about it. And then I crushed my head. And I was about to talk to God about it. I was about to lament. I was about to do my woe is me prayer, right? And I... Um, I thought about my friends from the Philippines uh, um, a, couple of ye- a couple of years ago that I bumped into uh, as we were doing mission over there, and I thought back to the houses that they were living in were the size of most of our bedrooms. And um, instead of taking my lament to God, I retreated, right? Now, it is true that as we look upon the different needs of people in the world, that our hearts should be filled with generosity to give and to give and to give so that no one would have to experience that. But when we experience suffering in our life, we're not supposed to compare our suffering to other people and retreat from communion with God. That's not why God gave us the language of father and child. That's not why Scripture says... So now why Jesus says in Matthew 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Philip Yancey says all suffering is 100%. What he means by that is that we can't compare suffering. I would be gutted if one of my boys didn't want to bring his need to me because he felt like I would be disinterested. Felt like I didn't care because I had bigger fish to fry. God loves to hear the prayer requests of his children. God loves to hear you come before him and talk about what you really need because you are his child and he is your heavenly father. David's psalm is calling for us to know how much God longs for us to turn to him and run to him to experience his tenderness. Not just the objective reality, which is so important, but also the subjective outcome of constantly dwelling on the greatness of God. So that you would walk every moment of your life experiencing the joy that God has set aside for you. Experiencing the peace, experiencing the security. Our final reason that gives us confidence to choose the stronghold of the Lord is because of the promises of the Lord. Look down at the final two verses of chapter 27. Look at verse 13. He writes, 
I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, this is good reason to believe that uh, David is stuck in a cave somewhere because he believes that he has a specific promise that is going to come about while he's still alive. And in verse 14, he preaches to himself and to all of Israel, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Wonder what it is that you're waiting for at the moment. You've waited through rejection and embarrassment and discouragement and loneliness and depression and you feel like you've waited through just this endless cycle of life where you feel like nothing is going to change for you. I would ask you, what promise of God do you need to cling to tonight? What promise do you need to cling to tonight? So whenever I come across this story in Genesis 29, I'm challenged and stunned every time. It's a story of Jacob and uh, Rachel. And Jacob is promised that he will uh, receive a wife from, uh, from a man named Laban and that one of his daughters will become his wife. And he receives his promise from the Lord through a prophet. And so he travels away from the Canaanites and he goes out and he meets Laban and he sees the woman that he wants to marry and he's absolutely enthralled, right? Absolutely enthralled. Wants to marry Rachel, so excited about marrying Rachel. And so they make this deal up um, that he would work for seven years as a kind of dowry to win, the, to win Rachel into his life. And so seven years go on, right? Gets to the end of seven years, and then he's ready to take his wife, and they go to the marriage ceremony, and then Laban switches out wives, marries the wrong person. Goes to Laban and said, what do you do? And Laban doesn't apologize. He asks for seven more years, and he agrees. Seven more years of him waking up in the morning, seeing Rachel, Wanting Rachel, not having Rachel, going to bed, getting up, seeing Rachel, wanting Rachel, not having Rachel. 14 years, right? I dated Beck for six months, engaged for five, and married. This guy waited longer than Beck and I have even been together. And what evidence do we see of any good reason why he would wait around? It's the promise that he received from the Lord. And so we need to ask ourselves, what promise do we need to cling to tonight through the unknown? Because there are many, many reasons to be worried, but we have greater reasons not to be worried. What is the promise that you need to cling to tonight? Is it the promise from James 1 verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Philippians 4 verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Mark 11 verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. I would ask you tonight, what promise do you need to cling to in the midst of your worry? Because God doesn't want you to wander through life in distress. Christians can wander through life in distress. God doesn't long for that for any of his children. Uh, as the band comes back up 
uh, last year, um, Pastor Timon and I went on a flight together. And um, it is true that Timon has, uh, Pastor Timon has more faith in planes than I do, right? So as we travel, I'm gripping onto the seat, and Pastor Timon is not. And my heart is racing, Pastor Timon's is not. I'm trying to start conversations with random strangers to distract me from the flight, and Pastor Timon is not. Now, while it's true that my little bit of faith and his lot of faith ended us up in the same place, what was the real difference? It was the peace along the way. That God longs for us all to experience peace. And plans do fail, but our God does not. And so I would say to you through the season that you're in at the moment where you don't know what is around the corner on the left or the corner on the right, there are promises that are set aside for all of God's children so that we might live every day in the peace that God has for you. So maybe tonight it's time for you to surrender the fear of the unknown over to God and trust in the character of God and the shelter of God and the promises of God. Let me pray for you. God, we want to trust tonight what your word has revealed about you. We want to acknowledge that sometimes we worship the idols of this world that make it very difficult for us to return to you because we feel shame and embarrassment. And we know that that is not what you've set aside for your children. So Lord, we just want to take a brief moment and repent. If there's someone in the room here tonight that wants to take that opportunity just to repent before the Lord, we just take this moment of silence just to declare to the Lord that you have sought the stronghold of another, the refuge of another. And you want to accept this kind gift of the Lord, the gift of repentance to turn back to him. Just in this moment of silence, will you just have a conversation with the Lord? we acknowledge that your word says that you are a lamp unto our feet so we would ask that you would light the way show us in this world what to put trust in what to flee from what to run towards we want to be a people that could say that you are my light and my salvation only in you do I trust only in you do I worship So we would ask that by your spirit now that you would convict hearts. That you would teach us how to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, we long to be the kind of church that brings you glory every day of our lives. So just Lord, treat us as empty vessels that just long to worship you and long to glorify you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet.